The House of Roll journeys far and wide to bring you exceptional quality kitchen and bath fixtures. We've discovered the world's best craftsmen and techniques. Using materials native to the region and tools accustomed to individual craftsmen, we strive for perfection every step of the way. With all of this, you'll see the details of your own story, the story of a life well-crafted. This is the story Craft tells. Welcome to the House of Roll. of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my country. I'm proud to call it home. This is my country. I'll never stand alone. It's time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour on a perfectly beautiful California summer Sunday morning. There are plenty of folks out there trying to inflame your passions. My purpose is different. I want to give you information that will enable you to make an independent judgment on current events and to encourage you to act on that judgment. This week, I'm going to focus a bit on the subject of wokefulness. So for the majority of us, just what is wokefulness? I'm it's, sorry, I missed that. What was that? I, I dozed off. Huh? Um, what are we talking about? Hashtag stay woke. Okay, I'm going to get more coffee. Okay. So is wokefulness a good thing or a bad thing or just a misunderstood thing? But first, I am a businesswoman who focuses a lot on the numbers because they tell me what's out of the norm, what needs our attention and then how to prioritize those necessary changes. So along the way this morning, after we talk, after we all wake up with wokefulness, we're going to talk about what was in the numbers this week. The gas tax in California rose another six cents on Jul- a gallon on July 1st. That tops, that's in, on top of the 12 cent increase last November. So Californians now pay more than 47 cents a gallon in taxes on every gallon of the most expensive gasoline in America. I want you to just absorb that for a moment. Does California have, as the governor has has proclaimed, a $22 billion budget surplus for 2019-2020? Or is it, in fact, a long-term debt problem? It's really worse than that. And then there's the possibility that the USA will run out of cash to pay its bills in September. True story. Just ask ask Treasury Secretary Munchen, who keeps telling Congress that. And we're going to get to all of that. We really will. But let's talk about wokefulness in the USA and its recent manifestations. 
If you frequent social media, you may well have seen posts or tweets about current events that are tagged hashtag stay woke. Woke is increasingly used as a byword for social awareness. The term gained social currency during the aftermath of the shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri in 2014. And in the 2018 midterms, and now the beginning of the 2020 presidential cash campaign, hashtag woke and hashtag stay woke and its derivatives have taken on a currency that has the potential to further rent the fabric of American society, which is already shredding and tattering around the edges. It's become a rallying cry for accentuating the differences in our society, what Time Magazine once called the balkanization of America, except it's more than just the balkanization of ethnicity. It's becoming a rallying cry for racism in all its old ugliness, but carried to a new level of sensitivity, outrage, and yes, yes, separation rather than integration. Woke is what led Colin Kaepernick's original kneeling over the American flag in his awakening during the Black Lives Matter movement. His protest of racial injustice is understandable in the context of his life. But it is also what led him to the extreme of condemning Nike's Betsy Ross flag original 13 colony star flag on the back of a pair of track shoes intended to celebrate the 4th of July. Well, Colin, I want to remind you that had it not been for that original Betsy Ross hand-sewn flag flying over the Continental Army, there would have been no bonfires and illuminations on the 4th of July. Now, Betsy Ross is a really odd figure historically to condemn as a racist. Betsy Ross was a Quaker. She spoke out. She fought. She belonged to a community that opposed slavery in 1775 as she was hand-stitching this flag. So that's the history. And is that not something, a stepping stone, that we need to remember, teach our children and, and help them to understand how progress is made one star, one step at a time. Wokefulness is what is causing the San Francisco School Board to spend $600,000 to paint over a mural depicting the life of George Washington at George Washington High School because it includes the reality that in his life, he was a slave owner. It was a mural painted when the high school was built in the 1930s by an otherwise unemployed fine painter and paid for by the WPA of the Roosevelt administration. But now it's being painted over because it might upset some child instead of inform and teach him. And just for the record, Washington did emancipate all of his slaves upon his death. 
Did you mention that Betsy Ross was a Quaker? I did me- mention that Betsy Ross was a Quaker. And the Quakers were abolitionists. I did mention that. They helped ban slavery in America. I did mention that. They were vital to the American Underground Railroad. I didn't mention that, but it's an important and historic artifact. Ironic. It is ironic. Stay woke, though. Well, but wofulness goes even further. Last week, and I, I'm going to apologize, I'll have to go back and look for the, um, for the actual link. Um, but I read an opinion piece, either in the New York Times or the Washington Post, forgive me, I don't remember which, that suggested it would have been better if the colonies had remained with, you know, just 13 separate colonies within the British Empire rather than winning the Revolutionary War. And the reason for that is that slavery was abolished, even though it meant that Manifest Destiny would never have happened, that we wouldn't be a major industrial power, et cetera, okay? Uh, it, it meant that slavery would have, was abolished. The reason for, for suggesting it would have been better for us to have remained 13 separate little colonies is that slavery was abolished in England 30 years before the Civil War, we would all, led by Abraham Lincoln, certainly be overjoyed had it not cost a half a million American lives to solve the issue of slavery. If it had, as Ken Stamp in The Peculiar Institution, uh, a book um, of the mid-1960s, uh, as he suggested, if it w- that slavery would have died as an economic factor, as it did in, in England, um, you know, would that were true, it would be, um, it would have changed history. But then there would be no United States of America. And by the way, in 1830, when slavery was abolished in Great Britain, doesn't mean that Parliament would have abolished it in the colonies because they didn't abolish it in Jamaica or India, for example. Woefulness has led to a demand for reparations for descendants of former slaves percolating in Congress today and espoused by several Democratic candidates for the 2020 presidential nomination. Wokeness applies only a stringent 21st century view to any historic fact and condemns that history for not being what it is, an artifact of a point in time, the stepping stone, a teacher for today. And on that note, let's go to a break, pay the bills, and we're going to come back and talk about how AOC and her squad have taken wokefulness to a new point of incredible. Listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org. Reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. Since the swearing in of the 20 of the 2019-2020 Congress of the United States, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her three uh, bedmates, uh, Miss Tlaib, Miss Presley, and Miss Omar, um, 
<clears throat> have taken wokefulness, stay woke, and their and their umbrage, their outrage, to be the first line in every conversation in American politics and media. It's all about taking sides, and it isn't even two sides anymore. So, for example, after the first Democratic debate, which included an exchange over school busing in the 1970s, um, the opponents of of the senator and then president and current presidential nominee Kamala Harris accused her. You know, she raised the issue of busing. She was proud that she was bused in Berkeley in the 1970s. And I don't remember Berkeley as a hotbed of of um, segregation of extreme um, right wingedness in the 1970s. Um, and I was there on the campus at that time. But um, <clears throat> in any case, Kamala Harris made, um, you know, took jo- Joe Biden's position on busing in the 1970s to task, after which some of the opponents of Miss Harris's candidacy for the pre- 2020 Democratic presidential nomination accused her of not being and I quote, black enough. The reason that she's not black enough is that her father, who was a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, was from Jamaica, and her mother was an immigrant from India. So her black father doesn't make her black enough, and certainly her mother was not black. So if I, I want you to know that Barry Obama the first black president of the United States, would have been equally singled out on that stage in the same way. His mother was white, and he was raised in uh, an even less, uh, more colorblind environment than California. He was raised in Hawaii. Just let that sink in for a moment. This is where Stay Woke has taken us. In the iteration of Miss Okasa who I like to call Donald Trump's apprentice. Did you just mention Obama? Yeah. Uh, people were, were quick to note that, uh, you know, at his inauguration, they had Betsy Ross flags flying behind him. Because Barack Obama is an American patriot. No, he's unwoke. He's, uh, well, an American patriot is by definition unwoke. There's nothing yeah. patriotic about the pressure points of, of separation that we're about to talk about that occurred this week, okay? I mean, there are increasing tensions between Nancy Pelosi, who's got a delicate balance to uh, manage, between a largely centrist, blue, more blue-dog Democratic House and the California Seats that were flipped, none of them were flipped by far left uh, woke folks, okay? Um, They were flipped by centrists. They are uh, people who come from seats in Orange County that still have majority Republican registration. So people who can be easily swayed to move in a different direction in 2020. So this is a very delicate, fragile majority that she's managing, okay? And 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 the squad, the squad were the only four votes against the um, 
uh, $4.5 billion humanitarian aid but, uh, bill for the funding fixes for the crisis on our southern border with Central American refugees. That's the woke squad? That is. They, the squad is woke. Yes, they refer to themselves. They refer to themselves as all caps squad s q a u a d hashtag stay woke. But it goes further. It goes further. Okay, and Nancy Pelosi merely pointed out that they had only four votes that nobody had followed them. Okay, into voting against this bill that their Twitter following does not count as a vote in the House of Representatives. And she told the caucus that in private, okay, which then led Miss Cortez to give an interview to the New York Times in which she accused Nancy Pelosi, San Francisco's own Nancy Pelosi, and I quote, explicitly singling out newly elected women of color Unquote. Now, if you think I was shocked by that statement, or if you're feeling shocked by that statement, can you imagine that it drew a rebuke from the House Black Caucus? The House Black Caucus. And Mr. Jeffries is himself a member of, the, of both the Black Caucus leadership and the um, House leadership. All right. So the Black the House Black Caucus then tweeted that AOC, you know, Miss Cortez, had, quote, played the race card, unquote. This was the House of Representatives of the United States Congress in 2021. Now, it gets better. Special election winner, uh, Anyana Presley, who is from Massachusetts, responded with a speech in a speech to uh, the Net Roots group, we don't need any more brown faces that don't want to be a brown voice. We don't need any more black faces that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need any more Muslim faces who don't want to be a Muslim voice. We don't need any more queers that don't want to be a queer voice. I apologize for anybody who I have now offended by the use of that word. That's a pejorative in my, in my vocabulary, okay? Um, but, but I'm quoting what this newly elected member of Congress said in an official speech as a representative in a member of the House of Representatives. So again, I don't mean to be disrespectful of anyone, but the denunciation of the American melting pot that's included in that paragraph would eliminate almost every candidate of the 20 who stood on behind podiums on a stage uh, in Miami just two weeks ago uh, from consideration for the Democratic presidential nomination. Well, yeah, they, the, none of those people are radical enough. I thought some of them were relatively radical in terms of policy, but none of them can can meet this test. Yeah. Nor should they. No, nor should they. I mean, especially while you're digesting that point, that that paragraph disqualifies almost every candidate 
for one reason or another, of those 20 who made it on the stage and the other four or five who didn't, okay? But to put a cherry on the Sunday, Miss Cortez's chief of staff then went on to attack a Kansas representative whose name is Sharice Davis, who voted for the $4.5 billion humanitarian package, who knows a little bit about hunger and deprivation because she is, you know, she was accused by AOC's chief of, of staff of perpetuating racism. Well, let me tell you that Miss Davis knows a little about what she was voting for to feed and clothe people. Miss Davis is one of two newly elected American Indian women who come from reservations. And if you want to talk about a pe- people in the United States of America who continue to be abused by our government and by all of this wokefulness, it is the American Indian. It, it's a subject we're going to take up one of these Sundays, but, not, but I digress. Now, I do blame President Trump and his divisive rhetoric just as much as I blame these young flamethrowers. I mean, I won't quote his tweet of the morning. You can look it up for yourself. But isn't it time that we took a step back and asked whatever happened to the essence of American democracy, the art of compromise, e pluribus unum, out of many, one? And on that note, while you think about that, Let's take a quick commercial break. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And we're back. And I think we've come close to exhausting hashtag stay woke. But not the central problem of a nation divided against itself. Remember what Ben Franklin said as they were signing the Declaration of Independence? No, I, I, I missed that day. I wasn't there. Oh, oh well. What do, what do you say? It, I, is this now going to be an, an admission that I'm older than you? Uh, I, I didn't say you were necessarily older than me. I just missed that. I was absent. Oh, you, oh, you were absent that day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, what, what he what said. What he said was, "United we stand, and divided we hang." And in a global world in which our supremacy, our leadership of a rules-based global order is being challenged every day. United we stand and divided we hang. A couple of notable people agree with that sentiment and have you know, used that, their, their concern, uh, to publish a couple of books. Among them, Senator Michael Bennett, the senior senator from Colorado, who is a son both of the Mayflower and the Holocaust, and a candidate for the Democratic nomination for president. Wait, he was 
on the Mayflower and in the Holocaust? No. How old is this guy? Well, he's actually um, probably mid-50-ish. But his dad, who was the first president of NPR, among many, many other, and the president of Wesleyan and so forth, his dad is a direct descendant of the Mayflower. And his mother was a survivor of the Warsaw Ghetto as a young child born in 1938 and, and, and smuggled out of the, um, out of the uh, ghetto. <clears throat> Interesting story. Um, but he and, if you want to talk about another waspy son of wealth, uh, Supreme Court, Neil, uh, uh, Court Justice uh, Neil Gorsuch, who is a Trump appointee. So Bennett's book, they've both recently read written books that outline their concerns for the future of the nation. Bennett's book, The Land of Flickering Lights, Restoring America in an Age of Broken Politics. And if we've just talked about over the last 10 minutes or so, 20 minutes, um, is not broken politics, then I, I think we need to redefine that term. Gorsuch's book will be more scholarly. Uh, it will be previewed at the George W. Bush Presidential Library in September in a, in a um, lecture. But the book is called A Republic If We Can Keep It. If We Can Keep It, it is a concern that I share along with a lot of other Americans. For example... I was at a country songwriter series concert on Thursday night, just at the end of this whole Sunday of AOC wokefulness. And one of the ironies of country music that is so often about drinking, lusting, chasing women, infidelity, and heartbreak is that so many of these songwriters, all of whom can actually sing, is that in real life, As a group, most of these are deeply religious, thoughtful, moral men and women. Trent Tomlinson is no exception. He he was one of the four songwriters on Thursday night and the only one who's actually a recognized performer in the country music genre in his own right. And one of the tunes he played for us was a song he wrote but was recorded by Aaron Lewis earlier this year. And Tomlinson told the audience what inspired him to write the song was sitting in front of his television set at home in Missouri watching the evening news. And after listening to the evening news while I was driving from San Jose to San Martin, I thought he'd caught the gist of the danger of stay woke or wokefulness or whatever you want to call it, the resegregation of America the division of America, whatever you want to call it. I thought this song fit it to a T. And so with Mr. Tomlinson's permission, we're going to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get the message it delivers. If I were the devil, I'd find a way somehow To make man think he created 
it got or not the other way around And what you see on TV would seem like the gospel truth And I'd make right look so wrong, I'd make wrong look so cool Anything to keep you out of heaven If I were the devil If I were the devil Everyone would just see color And I'd take all religions And I'd turn them against each other I'd sit back and I'd love it And watch you fuel the hate Light fires on the evening news Let them fan my flames Bring everybody down to my level If I were the devil you enjoyed that um it's a little toe tapper but like mr tomlinson in the last verse of that song i still believe in the unifying goodness the comity of the american people but i am mindful that if we don't actively fight for this republic this republic for which it stands one nation under God is not 
a guarantee. And on that note, let's talk a little bit about the numbers this week. Yep, California raised the gas tax price again. In a nation that's coupled with the highest gasoline prices in the country. And you know who's hurt the most by this? The 45% of Californians who live at or below the poverty line. Not only do they have to pay more for gas, but they drive the oldest cars, which are the least efficient, so they need more gallons, and they emit, because exhaust is the worst kind of pollution, the most pollution. And they usually have to drive the farthest, too. You're absolutely right. So talking about driving, I don't wouldn't mind paying the highest gas tax in the country if our highways were actually highways and not parking lots. The state claims that the increase in gas tax will raise over $5 billion this year, $52 billion in 10 years. But sadly, it's only half of what's really needed to, in terms of the backlog of needed repairs and upgrades to the state's highway system. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. That $5 billion with a B dollars is an increase to the just under $17 billion Caltrans budget last year. So we've got $22 billion in highway funds. And I don't know about you, but do you see, in addition to that, we're going to spend $3 billion in the cities and counties to repair local roads, so they tell us, so they promise us, and $2 billion. Yes, that's a really, really good use of your and my tax dollars. That's a reason to make people at or below the poverty line have to choose between gas or food in terms of getting it to work and doing their jobs, okay, is $2 billion of that money will go to fund the boondoggle in the Central Valley, the train from nowhere to no place. And we're going to have one of the board members of the effort to stop that craziness on um, on a show in, in um, sometime in the next several weeks. But here's the question I want to ask you. Do you see one fewer pothole anywhere? Do you see less grass growing in the cracks on our highways? On Thursday night, I had to go 22 miles. It took me 75 minutes, an hour and a quarter, to drive 22 miles on a, and I use this term loosely, freeway. And that was not the worst experience of my week. It took me 45 minutes to go a mile and a quarter last Sunday on Highway 17. So here are my two points, or actually there are three. I have not yet seen out of our legislature a single valid proposal that balances housing, water, jobs, and transportation. No, not just along corridors of existing mass transportation, crowding more people on top of each other, but a a, a balanced solution that actually recognizes how people get around. The inefficiency of our clogged roadways and overcrowded mass transit do more to cause pollution than all the greenhouse gas emission curbing laws on the books, including carbon taxes. It takes way more fuel to idle 
And when you're idling, you can see the smoke coming out of the back of the car ahead of you. Ladies and gentlemen, that's carbon dioxide. Not to mention on the brake, on the gas, on the brake, on the gas. That hour and a, that that hour I spent going a mile and a half caused way more pollution with all the people I was sharing the road with, of course, than is saved by the totality of electric cars that are on the highway today in the entire country. And speaking of electric vehicles, the 45% of Californians who live at or below the national poverty line, adjusted for housing, of course, can less afford an electric car than they can pay the additional dollar and 70 cents for every 10 gallons of gas they need to get to work. And that's just an example of the Calif- of California's crazy legislative process. So you want another couple of interesting California numbers because we've only got two minutes, the boss tells me. The total state operating budget for this current fiscal year is $144 billion. And the governor proudly proclaimed that He has a $20 billion budget surplus. But wait just a minute. That operating budget surplus results from higher income tax and sales tax paid principally by the richest 150,000 among us. Okay, so if if there's a dot-com bust, it's gone. But that surplus, you got to balance that surplus against all the taxpayer general funded indebtedness of more than $83 billion. So you see, there is no budget surplus. There's just a rainy day fund against those 150,000 people making less money next year. And, and, and the Hoover Institute suggests that it may be as much as, you know, the unfunded li- uh, liabilities of the state of California maybe between $1 trillion and $2.3 trillion in off-budget liability for interesting things like, you know, employee, state employee pensions, et cetera. A $2.3 trillion rock that the ship of the state of California can flounder on. In the case of a trade war with China, a stock market crash, or a normal economic downturn. If I were the governor, I'd put half of that surplus into long-term debt reduction. And there is more in the numbers this week, but we'll be back in just a moment with a few closing thoughts. You're listening to Reimagine America. For more information on today's topic, visit reimagineamerica.org, reimagineamerica.org. Now, back to Reimagine America. Once again, your host, Joyce Cordy. And just because this has not been the most upbeat of, of Sunday morning broadcast, but certainly one that's important. I feel much more woke. Do you if, really? If that changes anything well i want you to be woke but i want you to be woke in the right way and i have to stay woke too right it's not enough just to be woke you have to stay woke you gotta stay woke so can can i keep you up at night worrying about the fact that 
Secretary Munchen, our Treasury Secretary, has warned Congress that if they do not raise the $22.4 trillion debt ceiling by September 1st, he does not have enough cash on hand to pay the bills. We're not too sure about what will happen to your Social Security check or Medicare or that $4.5 billion in appropriated um, funds for humanitarian relief desperately needed on the southern border. But we do know that the rate of increase in the national debt is unsustainable, that the CBO projects it will be 93% of our gross domestic product in just 10 years from now. And it will be 150. In other words, we'll be close. We'll, we'll be at chapter 13. Uh, chapter 13. We'll be ready to re, or is it chapter 11. We'll be ready to reorganize in 10 years. And we'll be in chapter 13, just liquidate us by 2049 when the national debt at the current rate will be 150% of our gross domestic product. And yet not a single Democratic candidate has ever mentioned that inconvenient subject of debt and the trillion-dollar annual budget deficits we are running, except to complain about the Trump taxes benefiting the wealthy rather than the middle class, okay? But they keep rolling out their plans for more free stuff. Just ask the 1%. Nor are the Republicans any better. We desperately need to reform Social Security in order to sustain it through the rest of this century. It's doable. It's doable. There is a plan of record. I've reached out to Congresswoman Eshoo to see if she'll come on the show and talk to us about it, that there is a common sense plan on the table, and yet Congress will not take it up. Instead of Medicare for all, we need a deep dive study and a reform proposal to sustain Medicare for those who currently qualify for its existing population. We need to look more to Medicare Advantage and less for, to fee-for-service. And finally, we got to crack the Medicare fraud issue, which has cost the system half a trillion dollars in the last 10 years. And we need a tax plan that's fair and incentivizes building and keeping American business in America. The more we invent produce and export from the United States of America, the faster the USA's economy grows, diminishing debt as a percentage of GDP and increasing the living standard of Americans, increasing tax revenues, encouraging people to save, and reducing the stress on the social safety net. A rising river does float all boats hopefully reducing some of the social and political cross-currents that threaten our republic today. And we'll see you next Sunday. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. 
Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.